Please open your Bibles to Psalm 25, to the 25th Psalm, Psalm of David. And our last Psalm, before we begin the book of Luke, let's begin by reading Psalm 25 in its entirety. Psalm 25. Of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you... I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. This is a phenomenal psalm. Phenomenal psalm. And it deals with the question of how do sinful people, sinful people who are already redeemed, how do they come to the Lord? How do, they, how do you come to the Lord not in your strength, not in your faithfulness, not when you've had a good week, but when you've messed up, when you've sinned? D- David mentions that repeatedly. You can see that in verse, um, verse, oh dear, um, verse six. Remember not the sins of my youth. Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And again in verse 18, consider my afflictions and my trouble and forgive all my sins. David is coming with sin, not a track record of obedience. He's also coming with troubles. You notice the very first petition in the psalm is about his enemies. David, Israel's king, has enemies. Oh my God, verse 2, in you I trust, let me not be put to shame, let not my enemies exult over me. And again at the end of the psalm, Pick it up in verse 16. Turn to me, be gracious, for I am lonely and afflicted. 
The troubles of my heart are enlarged to bring me out of my distress. David's got enemies. David is lonely. He's afflicted. His heart is burdened. He's in distress. Consider, verse 18, my affliction and my trouble. Forgive all my sins, verse 19. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. So here's a man with great guilt and sin, great enemies and distress, burdens, sorrow, depression. How does such a person approach the living God? How, does, how, how do we, when we have sinned, when we have failed, how do we approach the living God? There are psalms that, that come in faithfulness. Lord, I've been righteous. I've been faithful. I've done what you wanted me to do. There are psalms that approach God that way. There are seasons in our life where We've been faithful. We've been walking with the Lord. But what about when we stray? What then? The good news of Psalm 25 is there's a covenant for sinners. There's a covenant for needy sinners. We see that language, covenant, in here. Remember the the word the ESV translates as steadfast love in verse 6 and in verse 10 is God's covenant love. This is always and forever, never forgetting, never letting go, gospel love. It's the love he places on those who are in his covenant, those who are redeemed. And the covenant itself is specifically named in verse 10 and in verse 14. In verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. Now, immediately when you think of covenant and the Old Testament, what we're tempted to think about is Sinai. And the Sinai covenant, or the law of Moses, is a very exacting, precise covenant. In it, God says, if you will obey me, if you'll be faithful, these are the good things I will do for you. I'll subdue your enemies. I'll give you kids and crops and rain and peace. If you disobey, I'll discipline you and ultimately remove you from the land. And so when David says here that there is, there's blessings for those who keep his covenant, we can be tempted to think, well, but the whole problem is he hasn't kept the covenant. Now, this is a covenant for sinners. We, we see that, look at verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. What we're going to study this morning is a covenant designed for sinners like you and me. Um, one, one commentator, Wilson, writes this. It is remarkable that in Psalm 25... Contrary to normal expectation, the covenant the psalmist anticipates is not a relationship predicated on absolute perfection or obedience, but is from the outset a covenant for sinners. Yahweh, David writes, instructs sinners in the way. God's purpose is to bring sinners into the covenant. And to this end, he provides the necessary guidance and instruction to make their participation possible. Now, as we look at a big psalm like this, we've got to figure out how we're to approach it. One of the things that's helpful is this psalm in the Hebrew is an acrostic. You know how acrostics work? The first word starts with a letter. Well, in Hebrew, following the Hebrew alphabet, every line, every verse begins with verse one, the first, Aleph, and then Beit, and then so on, through the Hebrew alphabet. The purpose for that is it aids in memorization, This is a psalm. God intends us to memorize and and hide his word in our heart. But here in particular is a psalm. There's a few psalms like this that are singled out to make memorization easier. You you get the implication. Memorize this. Hide this in your heart. To to that end, I want to commend to you an ABF that will be starting next week. Carol Hardy 
we'll be starting on meditation and memorization of Scripture. And you can see information of that in the bulletin. But that's one of the notes. This is a structured psalm. The only outlier to that is the final verse, 22, breaks the pattern. It sort of is a redundant final letter. So verses 1 through 21 are in A, B, C, all the way to Z. Prayer for needful sinners coming to a covenant God for grace. Another thing we'll note is, is the structure of the psalm. It, it's kind of clear. It's a big psalm, 22 verses. But the structural divisions and the five-fold division that I've highlighted, I think will be easy to, clear, to see when you know what to look for. What happens is in this psalm, David will talk to God and David will talk about God. The grammatical terms for that is the second person, you. I'm talking to somebody. And you see those all the way in the first seven verses. To you, O Lord. Verse two. O my God, in you I trust. Verse three. I wait for you. Verse four. Your ways, your paths, your truth. You are the God of my salvation. For you I wait. Remember your mercy, your steadfast love. Verse seven, all the way through. Then starting in verse eight through verse 15, David stops speaking to God directly, begins talking about God and about the one who fears God, and he changes from yous to he's. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners. Verse 9, he leads the humble. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Verse 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way. Verse 13, his Soul shall be in well-being. Oh, that's the one who fears the Lord. I'm sorry. Verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. And then starting in verse 16 again, David is now directly talking to God again. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. He's addressing God, and it becomes clearer in verse 20 that that's the case when, again, we're back to use. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. So the psalm opens with a seven-verse chunk. God is directly being spoken to. All the pronouns are you, you, you. There's a middle section where he's talking about God, and then it closes with another section directed directly towards God. And that middle section where, where David talks about God, in the very middle of it, the very middle of the middle, is a standout verse, verse 11. In the middle of his whole section, talking about God, David says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And I, and I believe that that structure where you've got capping on the outside, a big chunk directed to God, and, and by the way, that's where the petitions, the prayer requests are, are, are heavily laden, are in the first seven verses and in the last six or seven verses. David opens talking to God, making prayer requests. Then he talks about God, praising God. Then he closes talking to God with more prayer requests. But in the middle, breaking up that section, talking about God and the one who fears the Lord is verse 11, the center of the psalm, this, the central request. And when we study, we'll get to that. So we're, we're going to look through that way, studying the psalm according to those breakdowns. It's helpful when the, the grammar of the psalm helps break it down. And you'll notice that David's requests fall along three lines. The very first request he asks for is, is help with his enemies, not being put to shame. It opens and closes the psalm. Verse two, oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. And then down a little further, we see in verse 19, consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they, hatred they hate me. 
Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. There's, there's one thread of request. David is concerned. He's Israel's king. He has enemies. His enemies are after him. And sometimes David's enemies are after him and he's done nothing wrong. Sometimes David's enemies are after him and he can say, vindicate me according to my righteousness. In this, in this situation, Lord, I've done what is right. David's not saying that here. David's got great guilt. I don't know if the two are connected, but, but David is not arguing his, his good character. The second request thread is guidance and instruction. Look at verse 4. Make me know your ways. Teach me. Lead me, verse 5. Teach me. And so David is, on the one hand, asking for help with his enemies, not being put to shame. David is making requests for guidance. But the central request, three different times, is for forgiveness. See it in verse 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. Remember not the sins of my youth. Verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Verse 18, consider my affliction and my troubles and forgive all of my sins. So those are the three things on David's mind, his enemies, his need for guidance and instruction, his greatest need, forgiveness. So let's dive in. A covenant song for sinners in need. We're going to have to move quickly, but I trust that the Lord will, will bless our study. And first we'll look at the opening prayer and request. Opening prayer and request. And first what we see in point A, verses 1 to 3, is David makes a confident confession. A confident confession. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantingly treacherous. So here's, here's the key. The first point to get is this. What do you do when you've messed up? What do you do when you've sinned? What do you do when you've got troubles and sorrows and enemies? And here's the key. David is bold. David is bold in approaching God. He's confident in God. And we'll see as we study this psalm, his confidence is not in who he is, but who his God is. But David has humbled himself. He lifts up his soul to the Lord. He's, he's looking up. He's not looking at the troubles around him. He's got his eyes on the Lord. He's trusting in the Lord. Verse 5, he's waiting for the Lord. Verse 15, his eyes are towards the Lord. He is in a humble position of expectant trust. He's waiting on God. He's humble, he's lowly, he's looking up, and he's humbled himself, waiting on the Lord. And from that position, even if last week wasn't a good week for you, if you can get your soul and your heart to a place where you can humble yourself, you can look to God, you can look away from the other things, keep your f focus on him, wait on him, trust in him, then you can be bold. This is the boldness that comes from, as John Piper calls it, gutsy guilt. K keep your finger here and turn over to Micah. Turn over to Micah chapter 7. I want to see something amazing. We can sometimes feel like a dog with its tail between its legs when we've messed up, when we've sinned, when we've done great wickedness, as David confesses here. But as soon as we repent, as soon as we humble ourselves, as soon as we turn to the Lord, we can then, based on the covenant, be bold. Micah chapter 7. Micah makes a, a startling statement. Did I say the wrong reference? Micah chapter 7? Okay. Oh, Micah is a minor prophet. It'll be in the minor prophets. Micah chapter 7. Thank you, Lee. Okay. 
Micah chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, when I fall. I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out of the, to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. Isn't that remarkable? David's rebuking his enemy who wants to boast, who wants to gloat when David falls from his own sin. And he says, don't boast. The Lord will deal with me. The Lord will fix my wagon, but the Lord will also plead my cause. The Lord will redeem me. The Lord will lead me out into the light. That's the same attitude David's expressing here. Lord, don't, don't let me be put to shame. I'm trusting in you, and he's confident the Lord won't. He makes the request in verse two, do not let me be put to shame. But then he gives a foundation for his confidence. Verse three, indeed all or none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. And then we know with certainty David is one of those who waits on the Lord because in verse five, he says so. Lead me in your truth, teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. So David is confident. He comes to the Lord in, in, in humility, he comes to the Lord in trust. He's waiting on God. He's not going anywhere, but he's confident. And that's what we need to learn to be. We need that gutsy guilt. We need that confidence in approaching God with the right attitude, in humility, in contrition, waiting on God, being patient, but with confidence, a confident confession, a confident confession. Next, in verses four to five, the next request comes out, a request for guidance. It's as though what initially gets David's attention, what initially brings him to the Lord is his immediate problem, his enemies. But as he brings that to the Lord, he goes further. He recognizes really what he needs is guidance. Make me know your ways. Look, look at, look at the, the combination of requests and repeated focus on ways. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you, the God of my salvation, for you I wait all the day long. We, we need God's guidance. When we're in trouble, when we've got troubles, we need his, his instruction. And David's recognizing his own wisdom isn't going to get him out of this, isn't going to see him through this. He needs to know the Lord's ways. And he also recognizes, as we should, that he's dependent on the Lord to teach him his ways. You know that we're, we're dependent on God to reveal his word to us. We can't just muscle our way through this on our own. Yes, we need to study to show ourselves approved. But unless the Holy Spirit gives us insight, grants illumination, we will profit nothing. Now, the good news for us in the new covenant is that God has not just given us his word, but according to 1 Corinthians 2.12, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The good news for us is we need, recognize this, you need, I need God to teach me his ways, to teach me his word, to lead me in his truth. God has given us his Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, he's, he's given you his spirit to do just that, to, to illumine our minds, to help us understand what we are reading, understand the things freely given to us by God. And so David makes that request. He starts with what gets his attention, frequently with us, the problems around you, his enemies. And he'll get back to that at the end. That leads him to recognize his need of guidance. And then that leads him to recognize his, his greatest need, his need for forgiveness. Point C, 
a request for remembrance. Now, the reason why I add remembrance there is that word occurs three times in a progressive series of requests. Verse six, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. This is remarkable. Three requests, and they they build. How, How does a sinner approach God? approach God like this. First, he, he beseeches the Lord to remember his mercy and his covenant love. It's as if saying, okay, God, I'm going to come before you, but remember the gospel. Remember what you promised. Remember who you are. And then the, the ground, the request of, of the first request, remembering God's steadfast love, becomes the ground of, of the next two requests. Once God has remembered his steadfast love, it's not as though God forgot. But we see this frequently in the Psalms, the psalmist reminding God of who he is, the psalmist arguing God's word, God's promises, God's character to the Lord. It's not that the Lord's in any danger of forgetting. But, but David wants the Lord to, to bear in mind his covenant love and his mercy. That word for mercy is, is a word that comes from the word for womb. And the picture is it's the way a, a mother cares for and is thoughtful for and protects the, the unborn child in her womb. God, David's calling on God to, to have mercy for him like that and to remember his covenant love. For they are from of old. This is who God's always been. This is his character now and forever and always. In light of that, once that covenant love, once that gospel love is in view, now don't remember my sins. See, God can never forget, but he cannot remember. And God has chosen, for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, not to ever remember our sins. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful promise? God has promised not to remember our sins if we will confess them and, and turn from them, if we will trust Christ. This is the promise of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the language of this really comes from Exodus 23, 33, I'm sorry, Exodus 33, where Moses has just interceded for the people of Israel after the incident of the golden calf. And then Exodus 34, he says this, God walks by, declares his name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, there's a puzzle. God's a God who forgives, but he doesn't let guilty people go free. Imagine Moses wrestled with that one. We understand how the cross makes both those statements true. We have a God who forgives. We have a God who doesn't let guilty people go free. Sin will be punished. Either in ourselves or in Jesus Christ on the cross, those are the options. Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped, and he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us for it's a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Remember your steadfast love. Remember who you are and what you've promised. In light of that, don't remember my sins. And now, 
Now that my sins have been separated from me, now would you think of me in that light? That's what David's saying. Lord, would you think of me through the lens of your gospel, clothed in your son, we would say. Think of us in Christ, not as what I did last week, but as what your gospel declares me to be. This is, this is very instructive and wonderful in how to approach God, how to claim and clothe ourselves in the gospel. Lord, remember your promises. In light of that, don't remember my sin. Now, would you think of me and turn to me? Quest for remembrance, which then leads us to the part where he extols God's character. And what he does in the next section, verses eight through 10, is he extols God's character. And we'll notice that the very things he praises God for answer his requests. This is another way of reasoning or approaching God. What, what does scripture say about God? Well, those are the things we should be asking for. What did he ask for? He asked for instruction and guidance and forgiveness. Look at verses eight, nine, and 10. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Exactly what he asked for in verse four and five. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. So, so he teaches sinners, but he teaches humble sinners. That's exactly what David's claiming to be, a humble sinner. Lord, I'm sitting, I'm looking up, I'm waiting on you, I'm trusting in you. I got great guilt. The good news David announces is that here's a God who's good and upright and instructs sinners in the way. There's a connection of thought. He ends verse seven. Remember me for your for the sake of your goodness, and then that's exactly where he starts in verse eight. Good and upright is the Lord, and he's going to extol that goodness. Why is God so good and great? Because he instructs sinners in his way, and he leads the humble, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And here's, here's the point in number A. He is good to humble sinners. He is good to humble sinners. God is good to humble sinners. David makes his requests, and then he rehearses and announces God's very character on which those requests are based. Why can David be confident that God will answer these prayers? Because it's his character to do it. So he asks God to teach him. He asks God to lead him. He asks God to remember him. And then he celebrates God's character, which promises to do just that. It's, it's a wonderful way to approach God. Reminding yourself who God is so you can become bold and confident in prayer. And he is good to those who keep his covenant. Now there, there comes the rub. Sure, okay, God is good if we obey him, but that, that's not what David's saying here. That, that's the key insight to gather from this psalm. The covenant David has in view here is not a covenant of, of tit-for-tat obedience and blessing. That's very much the way the Sinai covenant is ordered. If you obey, if you're faithful, this is what happens. You can, you can read it. It's laid out in Deuteronomy 30. If you don't, here's the curse, here's death. But David is, is referencing a covenant that, 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 that is for sinners, humble sinners. All, all David's bringing to the table is his sin and his trouble and his current attitude. No, notice that. The only things David claims, verse 1, he lifts his soul to the Lord. Verse two, he trusts the Lord. Verse five, he's waiting for the Lord. Verse 15, my eyes are towards the Lord. And verse 20, for in you I take refuge. All David can claim is his current state of his heart. I'm looking to you, I'm waiting on you, I'm trusting you. And I got a ton of guilt and I got a ton of troubles. 
And David's saying there's a covenant for people like that. There's, there's, there's a covenant and a God who forgives people like that. It's, it's wonderful news. God is good to those who keep his covenant. This is a covenant where what is required is faith. Again, Wilson writes this, the humble sinner who fear Yahweh, hope and trust in him. It's important to note that it is the hope and the trust in this psalm that link the humble sinners to the covenant with God, not sinless obedience. Here is a clear statement of the gospel of grace in the heart of the Old Testament. You see that? A covenant for sinners. A covenant for sinners. All of God's ways are all his paths are steadfast love and faithfulness. It's kind of like you know, Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Here, David's saying all of God's ways, all of his paths are steadfast love and faithfulness. Even when those paths involve enemies and trouble, we saw last week, even when those paths and ways lead us through the valley, the shadow of death, God is still being faithful and loving. What matters is that we keep his covenant by believing, by repenting, by turning and looking to him and trusting him and waiting on him. And if our heart and our soul can can get in that position by God's grace, then we can be bold like David is bold. Which brings us then to his central petition. Verse 11, the center of the psalm, his central petition, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. David's got enemies. That's what initially he starts talking about. David is, is in need of counsel and instruction. But ultimately, at the heart of this psalm, after David has meditated on who God is, after David has considered his own sin, he knows that his number one need, he breaks the pattern, he breaks out of this third-person speech about God to address God. And again, how does, how does David argue? What reason does David give for why God should forgive him? Is it because I've been helping out at church? No. Does David say it's because I've been a good king? No. Does David say, because I've written a bunch of the Bible, God, forgive me? No. For your name's sake. Oh Lord, pardon my guilt for it is great. And that's another key concept for us to get in the gospel. We don't bring anything to the table except our sin and our guilt and our weakness and our suffering and our sorrow. And God forgives us not because of the great things we've done, but because of who he is. David understands this. His entire argument so far is who God is. Good and upright is God. Therefore, he instructs sinners. The reason I'm going to ask God to lead me is because of who he is. And here, the central request is linked and backed up by, and David takes confidence not in, I've been a good boy, God will forgive me. He is a great God who cares about his name. And we saw this last week when we considered the, the, some of the phrases of God doing things for his namesake. And in every instance that I can find, every instance where that phrase is used, God is always for his namesake forgiving, being patient, being gracious. Let me just read you a, a few samples here. Psalm 79, verses 8 through 9. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. 
Psalm 106, 7 through 8, recounting why did God not destroy Israel in the wilderness? Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet you saved them for, yet he saved them, sorry, for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. Psalm 109, but you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Psalm 143, 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. And then in the, the passage leading up to introducing the new covenant in Ezekiel, God makes it abundantly clear, abundantly clear why he is forgiving, why he is pursuing, why he is redeeming his people. Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, this is Ezekiel 36, 22 to 23. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, and through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So we can come before God, and if we're arguing from ourselves, it really isn't my fault. I tried as hard as I could. Um, the woman you, you gave me, tempted me, however you want to blame shift, however you want to, to try to make it about you, and that's why God should forgive you, you, you misunderstand our God. There's a free offer of forgiveness, there's a free offer of pardon for sinners, but we come to God recognizing he's going to act for his name. He's going to act for his glory. He's going to keep his word. He's going to be true to his character. We, we come to God not in the hope of who we are. It's really not as bad as you think. We come to God fully acknowledging our guilt. David says, pardon my guilt. It's great. I've got a lot of guilt. But do it for your name's sake. Whenever God acts for his name's sake, we get the blessing. Whenever God acts for his great name, we get the blessing. So the points here under the central petition is, pardon my great guilt for the sake of your name. We, we, we are people who are very much want God to act for the sake of his name. Because every time he does in scripture, we get blessed. We get grace. We get forgiveness. His, his anger and his discipline is restrained. David's central petition, pardon my great guilt for the sake of your name. Then in the next section, he begins extolling the fear of the Lord. It's as though having just experienced that forgiveness afresh, he's now extolling in the same notion of third person, the one who fears God. We've we got to move quickly, but we will get through this. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Now, here we get more insights into what does it mean to keep God's covenant, this covenant for sinners. It means to fear God. We've already seen it's for hum humble sinners up in the first subsection, verses eight through 10. Here, it's for the one who fears the Lord. Now, fearing God it's another way of saying taking him seriously. The Hebrew word for, for glory, chavod, means weight or heaviness. And when we understand the holiness of God, when we understand the heaviness, the weight of God, we take him seriously, not flippantly. The command against blasphemy is, is not to treat God's name lightly, flippantly. It's a small thing. 
And fearing God is taking him seriously. Fearing God is understanding, as Peter says, that we aren't perished with perishable things, but with imperishable things. It's a fearful thing to consider what needed to be done so that you could become able to stand in front of God. We fear God. But if we will fear God, what what blessings await? Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way. This linking back to David's request. Instruct me, teach me. If we'll but fear the Lord, God will do these things in the way that he should choose. What else? His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. It's truly written in Proverbs 1.7. I'm sure many of those in Awana know this verse by heart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What are, the, what are the terms of this covenant? You've got to fear God. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to confess your sin. You've got to fear God. You've got to look to him. You've got to trust in him. And if we can do that, all these blessings are ours. And we can come boldly, even when we've royally messed up. The Lord will guide, guard, and establish him who fears him. And second, the Lord will reveal to him his covenant. If the fearing of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's the one that fears the Lord, the one who's suddenly beginning to take God seriously, take his own sins seriously, this is the one that God will reveal his covenant to. This covenant for sinners, this covenant that forgives, the reason David can cry out for pardon and forgiveness is because of this covenant. And it starts with fearing God. It starts with fearing God. Which brings us then finally to the closing prayer and requests. And again now, David shifts to talking directly to God And again now, requests come out. And now, after David's dealt with his guilt, and after David has asked for instruction, now he returns his thoughts to his current affliction and problems, his enemies. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Now quickly, what are the requests? Verses 16 to 17, David saying, turn to me, be gracious to me, and deliver me. And here, after he's, he's reminded God of the covenant, and after he's pleaded for pardon, now David brings in as, as salient factors his own suffering, his own sorrow, his own enemies. But we must never come to God with that as the primary basis for forgive me. But after David has, for your name's sake, forgive me, now David will bring out his circumstances. I'm lonely, I'm afflicted. Verse 17, my heart is troubled, I'm in distress, I have many enemies. Turn to me, be gracious to me, deliver me. Point B, verse 18, consider my suffering and forgive me. Forgive me. Then, after he wants God to consider two things, consider his trouble and forgive him, and he wants him to take into account his enemies. Consider my foes and guard and protect me. Verses 19 to 21. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Consider my foes and guard and protect me. We're back to where we started David's 
initially praying and seeking for God's help, initial request is regarding his enemies. That leads him to consider his need for instruction. That leads him to consider his need for forgiveness. And now as we're coming out of this psalm, now, having dealt with his sin, having called on God for instruction, now he returns to the issues at hand. It's, it's okay to pray to God for the troubles we have and, and the things we're in. It's okay to bring our concerns to God and problems at work and problems with persecution and problems around us. It's just important for us to get the main thing, the main thing. David may start there, but the center of this psalm is for pardon of forgiveness of sin. And having dealt with that and entered the covenant and cleansed ourselves, now bring to God our concerns. Now bring to God our troubles. This is the pattern God gives us. And then finally in verse 22, he, he extends as Israel's king, redeem o Israel, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. David is Israel's king. Perhaps his enemies are also enemies of the state. Frequently we know from reading in in 1 and 2 Samuel that's exactly the case. Either way, David takes these covenant blessings he's claimed for himself and extends them to all of God's people. You know, once, once we've dealt with our own sin, we can be in a position to petition and pray that God would extend that mercy to others. Now, we're going to have a direct and immediate application of these principles right now before us in the Lord's table. How, how, how will you come to this table? Will you come in your own self-righteousness, in your own confidence? Will you come in your own merit? Or will you come as a needy, humble, fearing of God sinner? Let's close in a word of prayer as we prepare to come to this table. And let us pray that we'll come rightly. Lord God, we pray that you, would, that you would give us the grace to come rightly, to come in the fear of the Lord, come aware of our guilt and our need, to come in humility, looking to you and you only, our eyes only on you for the help and the grace that we need. Lord, we need forgiveness. We need cleansing. Even as you have forgiven and cleansed us in Christ, so every day we continue to need it. And we need you to lead us. We need your instruction. And Lord, we need help with our enemies. We need help with the world around us. We need help with our sin. So Lord God, give us right hearts of faith. As we come to this table, let us come in a worthy manner. In Jesus' name, amen.